a number of years ago, I, and I don't know if you're going to be able to see this very well, and especially since my light in this room, I have my blinds pulled in one section so that I don't get a glare, but then my lamps are kind of sitting precariously above me, so there's a bit of light on me. But I'm holding up, this is a little statue I bought um, on about seven years ago in the spring of 2013 of St. Francis of Assisi. And if the children may be able to see, if I point it out, here in the front, he's holding a little bird in his hand. And on the front page of our worship folder is the picture of St. Francis. And like most pictures of St. Francis of Assisi, there are birds and other animals in the picture. The reason Francis is usually pictured with birds and animals is because there is an ancient belief or tradition that Francis, when he was so excited by telling people about God's love, that the first ones he came upon were the animals and the birds. And so he preached to the birds and the animals. Now, all of us probably love birds and animals. Um, the next time you see an animal, whatever animal or whatever little birds in the morning, you might want to think of St. Francis and the bird and the birds that he preached to, that Francis realized all of God's creatures are here for a reason. All of God's creatures are here because God has placed them as companions on our journey. Thank you for being with us today and to the animals that may be with us as well. This has always been a favorite day of mine. Um, even before I moved to the city of St. Francis 30 years ago, um, St. Francis of Assisi has always been one of those people that I've always held close to my heart. And then especially when I met my late partner, Bill, and realized his birthday was on the Feast of St. Francis, as well as, Nor as uh, Norm Boyer-Visher and, and uh, Brian, and a couple other people I actually know who have birthdays this day. Francis has always been one of those heroes of my faith. There are a couple words I want to list. Humility, peacemaker, selfless, servant to all. Self-aggrandizing, egocentric, glory 
for oneself. These words could easily describe three people, three saints whom we mention today. James and John in the gospel. James and John, who were probably fairly young when this story takes place. The reason we think they may have been fairly young, maybe 20 years old at the most, is they happen to be mentioned in relationship to their father, uh, the sons of a guy named Zebedee. And James and John, if they were maybe 20 years old, 19, 20, 21, were probably like most 20-year-olds, kind of self-centered, if, if any of us can remember that far back to when we were in our early 20s, late teens, that everything revolved around us. We thought we kind of will rule the world and change things. And so James and John come to Jesus and ask for a special place, a special place in heaven. Or maybe they were so convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that Jesus was going to overturn the the Roman uh, governance there and take his rule as the Jewish leader. And so, hey, we want a place at your right hand and your left hand to a place of honor. We want to be in your cabinet. If they had had money, maybe they had even would have paid Jesus to say, hey, give us a, a job. Give us the, the uh, positions of authority. Young and self-centered, seeking glory for themselves, perhaps. They did not know what they were asking. In fact, that's what Jesus responds. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? You have no idea what's going to come. In fact, Jesus even says among the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people, those who are the, the rulers, the leaders, lord it over the other people. They're great ones. Their rulers are tyrants. And I'm not going anywhere where some of our minds might go on that one. But among you, whoever wishes to become great must be servant to all. Being a servant to others, actually a servant to all, is not necessarily what we want to hear. In the year 1181 or 1182, there is question of exactly what year this man that we call Francis was born. A boy was born in the town of Assisi in Umbria. Uh, Umbria was a country or place of its own. Italy did not exist as a country at that time. And this young boy was born. He was named Giovanni. In fact, in this book that I'll refer to, it says 
a boy was born to Pietro de Bernardone, a world-wise tyrannical cloth merchant, and his long-suffering wife, Pica, who lived in a prosperous hill town of Umbria called Assisi, nestled in the foothills of the Apennine Mountains. The child was christened Giovanni shortly after his birth. His father, however, on returning from one of his many business trips to the larger part of the Franks, what became France, uh, where he purchased bolts of stylish cloth that he would sell at a higher price to the Italians, demanded his new son be renamed Francesco, or the Frenchman, or in English, Francis. Francis of Assisi was to become, in the course of his short 44 years of life, the greatest of all medieval saints. For many thoughtful commentators, the greatest Christian figure since Jesus Christ himself. Francis. He was, as a young man, probably pretty much the same as James and John were, self-centered when he was young. It says here, Francis, by all accounts, was a wild and spoiled youth who cut quite a figure in Assisi, an indulged member of the Nouveau Riche. Francis always had a purse full of money, which he lavished on food and drink with his friends and on stylish clothes for himself. According to the legend of the Three Companions, which was a book written shortly after Francis's life, he would have used only the finest materials and sometimes his vanity took an eccentric turn and he would insist on, insist on the richest cloth and commonest cloth being sewn together in the same garment. Needless to say, there are no marked sites in Assisi that record this ne'er-do-well youth of Francis, save for the streets themselves, which he prowled late into the night with his friends, singing and carrying on and undoubtedly wenching in the spirit of the times. He wasn't just part of the pack. He led it. He was the admiration of all and strove to outdo the rest of his friends in pomp of vainglory, in jokes, in strange doings, in idle and useless talk, in song and soft flowing garments, writes Thomas of Solano, who was a contemporary. Francis even agreed. In his testament, written in the bishop's palace in Assisi shortly before Francis died, he refers to his first 25 years of his life as a time while I was in sin. Some years later, Francis, deciding rather than become a wealthy fabric merchant like his father, just for the fun of it, to get glory for himself, he would join the Second Crusade. But on the first night out, he had a vision. 
God was sending him back home. Now, when he returned back home, his neighbors jeered at him. They thought he was foolish. He said he was going out on the crusade to become a warrior. But he came back home because he had turned from war to peace. While others took up arms in later crusades, some few years later, Francis went all the way to Egypt to speak with the Muslim leaders and try and bring about peace. It is believed to be the first journey of anyone as a peacemaker. Prior to this, when Francis was 22, in the year 1205, he, on a coming back from an errand that he was running for his father, on a very warm day, he took refuge from the heat of the day in the coolness of a broken down ruin, a ruin of a small little chapel, Chapel of San Damiano in the foothills of Assisi. Now, this was a dilapidated building. It probably had not been in use for many years. While he was in there, he gazed upon a crucifix that was hanging on the wall. Uh, this is a picture of the crucifix as it exists still in this chapel. And Francis heard a voice. The voice said to him, Francis, don't you see my house is being destroyed? Then rebuild it for me. Well, he took the words literally. Francis at 22 years old, went and sold off some of his possessions, the possessions which really had come from his father. And he went about with the money from selling the possessions and rebuilt this small little chapel. This angered his father. It angered his father so much that his father had Francis arrested and put in prison. Put in prison for a year, such a loving father, I can't imagine. Francis, while in this really dark, terrible, uh, probably rat-infested prison, uh, while he was there, he uh, developed malaria, He uh, was, which bothered him throughout the rest of his life. While he was there, he had this total conversion of life. When he was released from prison and came before basically the whole town council and in the town square in front of the cathedral and in front of the bishop and his own father and family, Francis stripped himself of everything, of his clothes, of all his possessions, and he said, you will no longer be called my father the only one I will call father is Pater Noster, our father who is in heaven. 
and he went to live amongst the poorest of the poor. He went about proclaiming God's love in Jesus to all those who really did not experience much love in their life, the poor, the sick. Was Francis a man of faith? Most people would answer with a definite yes. But when you read about his life and the many tribulations he faced, he questioned his faith throughout his days his torments of soul and body were a constant reminder to him of his lack of faith. When you look at the lives of any of those who have been blessed or cursed with a message from God that must be delivered, these people we revere as saints are racked with guilt at their seeming lack of faith, or at least their seeming lack of faith to them. Francis, James, and John, all 12 of the disciples, all the people who have followed in the footsteps of Christ, all those who have been willing to drink the cup that Jesus drank, Everyone, including us, question our own sometimes lack of faith, our own depression when we get frustrated by things. When I see the work and the life of St. Francis of Assisi, I'm appalled at my lack of humility, at my lack of faith some days. I feel much closer to the self-aggrandizing James or John. I lack the humility of Francis. I avoid the poorest of the poor for fear of catching a disease. When this pandemic started in those first three, four months, I probably got on because I take public transportation I got on the Muni bus maybe once a month, and that was to come out to church to put together the worship folders that we sent to you. And that was it. And I was fearful when I was on the Muni bus. Now, since school started, I'm on the Muni bus at least two, three times a week. Um, and every time, I'm fearful. I avoid the poorest of the poor. I walk down the street. There is a homeless encampment just a block from where I live here, at right at the corner of Castro and Market. And um, each day, it seems to get worse. I walk into the street trying to avoid those people that St. Francis would have come up to and loved for their humanity. And so God places in our path people like St. Francis, who was, we will, 
who was willing to rebuild God's church, not with glory and gold, but with humble service to others. In the days shortly before October 4th, 1226, and I just happened to notice calendar-wise, the next time the Feast of St. Francis occurs on a Sunday will be in 2026, exactly 800 years to the day of his death. Francis of Assisi completed the canticle of Brother Sun and Sister Moon, which was the text that we used as our first hymn this morning. Here is a faith in all its simplicity and strength, humble faith, which grows to encompass the song of the whole universe in the praise of the divine creator. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the example of Francis. Amen.